This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. We appreciate you spending some time with us here on a a gray, going-to-be-stormy morning here in the southeast. But uh, we are nice and dry inside. Uh, I tell you what, it was 75 degrees here in North Carolina yesterday. Oh, my God, it was beautiful. Uh, spent part of the morning uh, at the motor vehicle department getting all legal. Seems strange seeing a, a North Carolina license plate on my car, but uh, finally, uh, finally, after uh, being here since the end of uh, November, first part of December, finally got it taken care of. Uh, lots to talk about this morning. Baseball back on my television. Good lord, did that feel good? Uh, and uh, then you top it off with the NCAA tournament going on and. Uh, so a lot of fun yesterday in sports. A couple of things to talk about before we get to all that. Uh, did you see that? Uh, well, I'm sure you've you've seen by now that horrific uh, crash down in Texas uh, when a college golf team from uh, the University of the Southwest out of New Mexico uh, had almost its entire men's and women's golf teams uh, killed in an accident, a head-on collision. Uh, They were in a van, and they were uh, hit head-on by a truck coming the other way. Uh, They said it was a uh, high-speed head-on crash. Just horrible, horrible. But it gets even worse. When news comes down yesterday that the person driving the truck that swerved into their lane and hit them was being driven by a 13-year-old kid. 13 years old uh that in itself is just terrible but you know the kid was killed as well as the other person in the truck six members of the golf team as well as their coach uh, only two of them survived um they are in the hospital and uh it looks like they're going to survive but just terrible 13 year old driving a truck look now <laughs> they're out in the middle of nowhere in texas i get that and it is very common uh, in, you know, places like Texas or, you know, very rural areas for young kids to be driving. But not, you know, it's very common, especially driving, uh, you know, trucks on your huge uh, ranches or wherever or driving a tractor or something like that. There is a huge difference, though, between that and uh, driving on an interstate. What the hell were was the parent thinking? And and they haven't identified the kid, but I have to assume that it was the son of the other person that was killed. It was a 38-year-old man that was killed uh, in the truck. I have to assume it was his kid. You know, uh, just but it's a tragedy all around. But you know, just 13 years old driving on an interstate, unbelievable, and uh, just. 
you know, you hear about these things all the time. Uh, no, not all the time, but you know, every every couple of years we hear about some kind of an accident with a college team that's in a in a van, and so it happens all the time. Look, I coached uh, for twenty five years in college athletics, and and fourteen of those were in Division three, and Division three schools. Um, it's very common that you take uh, fifteen passenger vans for basketball games, et cetera. I I used to drive one all the time, and I remember driving them in a snowstorm and just you know, uh, I'm thinking about all the lives I've got in my hands. You know, in the back, it's it's not fun. You know, and it prompted a lot of schools to start using coach buses, and you know that's a that's a big drain on the budget. But at the end of the day, with this one, you know, what would have happened if this truck had hit a um, a bus? Would the kids have, uh, you know, the people on the golf team survived? They may have. Somebody still would have got. They, they said the speed limit on this interstate was seventy five miles an hour. So you figure two cars going 75 miles an hour in the opposite direction, hitting head on, even if it was a bus, you know, something was going to happen. It wasn't going to be good. But, you know, 13 years old, you know, and, and I'm not going to dump on the family because it just doesn't make any sense. But, you know, just uh, I'd like to think that most people have more sense than that to than to allow their 13 year old um uh, to drive on a public road in, in Texas, I guess you can start getting your learner's permit or something at like 14. They do things a little different down there in Texas. Uh, but just, just horrific, just absolutely horrific. Uh, and, and I hope that those uh, two kids that, uh, uh, that are in the hospital, they're both in, uh, they are both in critical condition. Uh, although they said one of them now is up and uh, and eating a little bit, so uh, I hope they're going to be okay. But uh, just uh, terrible. Um, the other news that came down before we get to the good news from yesterday, and, and actually this is kind of good news. Uh, Russia was trying to get its ban from the uh, World Cup qualifying lifted, and uh, the Court of Arbitration for Sports said, "Yeah, no." They dismissed the suit by the Russians immediately. Uh, they were supposed to play Poland in a World Cup, uh, World Cup qualifying match on uh, next Thursday, and it ain't going to happen. And uh, Belarus has been uh, blocked out of that. Uh, you know, a lot of Russian athletes are getting the cold shoulder right now. But, you know, look, hey, um, what do you expect? I mean, if you're Vladimir Putin, well, you know, what an idiot. Frightening idiot, you know, and I'm really worried about that. My, my wife, you know, last night, Barb and I had a long talk about this. And, you know, some of the stuff you hear coming out of Putin's mouth is very Stalin-esque uh, and, you know, very uh, concerning about where we're going. You know, is this going to turn into World War Three? God, I hope not. But I suppose, you know, it's it's a possibility. You know, and as I said to her last night, I said the worst part about the whole thing is, is all he's got to do is, you know, this guy's nuts. And I got to hope that the people around him are more afraid of him than anything. But if he decides he wants to use a nuke, I got to hope the people around him are sane enough to take this guy out. Because even if it's not pointed at the United States, if somebody lets off a nuclear weapon in Europe or in Ukraine or, you know, wherever, it's going to impact everybody around the globe. You know, there's going to be fallout. This could, this not, it's not, you know, this isn't like, uh, this, this would make what happened at Chernobyl 
You know, look like a, uh, you know, a, a spilling a little grape juice on the floor. So I'm hoping that uh, the people around him are smart enough that if he decides he wants to take it to the next level, that somebody's going to get a hold of him and, and, and just take him out because just, just, just unbelievable. Um, so, uh, but, uh, so Russia will not be playing in the World Cup qualifier on Thursday. And I hope, uh, you know, as long as this whole thing uh, continues, I hope that uh, their ban on international sports continues. I mean, because how can it not? How can it not? All right, let's get to uh, the fun stuff yesterday. And, and uh, normally I would lead with baseball because it was the first day of baseball. But there were a couple of uh, uh, games last night in the NCAA tournament that were, that were a blast to watch. Well, one of them, if you're a UConn fan, it wasn't so much fun uh, to watch the UConn Huskies get bounced out of the NCAA tournament again. Um, you know, and uh, UConn became the second five seed of the day to lose as they get taken down by New Mexico State. Uh, Iowa also got taken out. I'll tell you what, my bracket is a mess. I, between that and we'll talk about the Kentucky game in a minute. I had Kentucky going to the Final Four. So I know I'm not the only one that had a bracket that just, you know, picked this thing up this morning and just <laughs> You know, it's it's ready to go in the trash because I'm I'm trashed. Um, uh, we'll we'll talk first about the UConn game uh, since that one finished first. But uh, um, Teddy Allen scored 37 of his team's 70 points last night, and they beat uh, New Mexico State beat UConn 70 to 63. And you know, people want to say, well, you know, Danny Hurley after the game talking about, well, you know, some of the shots he made, uh, they're unguardable. The baloney. You know, I thought UConn, you know, they did a good job, you know, with a lot of their defense off the dribble. They 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 did some nice half court pressure, uh, picked them up full court at times, caused some turnovers. But you know, here's what you knew. When Teddy Allen got that ball last night in that game, he wasn't giving it up. Teddy Allen doesn't pass the basketball. And he just would dribble around until he could figure out a way to get a shot off. And then he'd hoist something up. And UConn kept bailing his ass out. Yeah, he hit a couple of shots that were, you know, a couple of rainbow threes. And they left him some room to to get open. And he drained them. I mean, he drained a lot of them. But, you know, he took, I, I want to say, in the last three or four minutes of this game, he took three or four absolutely horrendous shots. Off balance, falling away, you know, 900 feet from the basket. And UConn f- kept fouling him. He fouled him once on a three-pointer on a shot that, that had no chance to go in. They fouled him on another two-pointer that he's fading away and he's leaning to his left and they fouled him, sent him to the free-throw line. He was 13 for 13 from the free-throw line. You know, so I don't want to hear that they were unguardable. How about you double-team them? Make somebody else beat you, for God's sake. He's been lighting your ass up all night, and you do nothing. So I actually felt that that this one's, this one's on Danny Hurley, in my opinion. You know, look, UConn looked completely disinterested in the first half. They were down 10. They scored, UConn scored 22 points in the first half. They were down 32-22 at the half. And they looked like they were sleepwalking for 20 minutes. 
They look like they expected to walk into that building and New Mexico State was going to crap their pants because UConn was there and they were going to just, you know, roll over and die. Guess what? And I give UConn a lot of credit for coming out of the locker room. I'm sure Danny Hurley, uh, you know, invented new swear words at halftime. I give UConn a lot of credit for coming out in the second half, playing well, getting the game back even. They did a hell of a job. But every time UConn would make a run and they would tie the score, get it to within one, it was that guy, Teddy Allen, again. And it was because UConn couldn't guard him. You know, and they continued to follow the kid. So I don't want to hear that. And look, this is to take nothing away from Teddy Allen. The kid was phenomenal. And he's not even that big. He's like 6'1". He's my size. You know, but the boy can shoot. So this is to take nothing away from him. But if you are UConn, they made no adjustments on this guy. None. So, you know, that to me was the disappointing part. And here we go with UConn again. You know, and and look, they're trying to rebuild the program. I get it. The whole mess with Kevin Ali, yada, yada, yada. You know, Dan Hurley comes in. Hey, look, Danny Hurley is over 2 in the NCAA tournament. Last year, look, they were underdogs. There was no question. But this year, they had a hell of a run in, you know, at the end of the season. They did a great job in the NCAA tournament. They lost to Villanova or in, in the Big East tournament. They lost to Villanova, a team that, by the way, I have going to the, uh, uh, to the championship game in my bracket against Gonzaga. They took a very good Villanova team right to the wire in the Big East tournament and could have beaten them. You can make a case should have beaten them. And Matt Ehalt uh, uh, of Sports Illustrated had this tweet last night. And, and uh, you know, here's the thing. If you look at Danny Hurley, UConn has had, like, arguably 16 big games in the last two years. You know, games that they had to win or, you know, kind of defining moments. UConn's 3-13 and 13 in those games. You know, he's 1-4 against Villanova. Creighton owns them. 0-5. Oh, they're two and two in the Big East tournament. You know, let's let's you know. It, it's it's sacrilegious in the state of Connecticut to say anything bad against UConn. And I'm not saying Danny Hurley is a bad coach. You know, he he did a hell of a job in Rhode Island. This is a guy that I'm not saying he doesn't know how to coach, but he got out coached last night. You know, he got out coached. And the other problem with last night, it wasn't just Hurley, you know, and this and this was a problem that UConn saw going down the stretch. Adama Sanogo, their big guy, who was uh, arguably the best big man in the country for a long time this season, down the stretch, couldn't throw it in the ocean and looked worn out. It's almost like he got too many minutes, and by the end of the season, he was gassed. He had finished with 10 points, 8 rebounds last night, 4 for 9 shooting. By the way, 4 for 9, a guy that shoots inside. He missed a freaking bunny last night. You know, he got the ball, made a nice move, tries to make a reverse layup, and misses it. Down the stretch, a a basket they couldn't afford to miss. 4 for 9 from the field for a guy that shoots in the paint. UConn got out-rebounded last night. They don't get out-rebounded. They got out-rebounded by a smaller New Mexico State team last night. So, you know, look, uh, very disappointing. 
if you're a UConn fan. Um, you know, and, and, you know, UConn apologists out there, and they're everywhere. You know, but this one rests on Danny Hurley. I don't care what anybody says. He got outcoached. And you have got to make better adjustments. If you're if you're an elite coach, you have got to be able to make better adjustments. When you know, I, I know that team th- throws up a lot of threes, but that ball game last night went through Teddy Allen, and you let him beat you. You need to make somebody else beat you. Just double team him. Just didn't did even give it, give it a try. So anyway, so that was number one. And, of course, earlier in the day, Richmond, the Richmond Spiders, knocked off Iowa. I had Iowa winning a couple of games in the tournament, so that didn't help me much. I had UConn winning a couple of games. I had UConn uh, beating New Mexico last night and then beating Arkansas in the next game. Uh, by the way, uh, New Mexico State's not beating Arkansas, although I shouldn't say that because they shouldn't have beaten UConn, but be that as it may. But Iowa, it was the second uh, number 5 seed to get knocked off yesterday. But the shocker of all shockers was the St. Peter's Peacocks. And I've been to St. Peter's, folks, and this is to take nothing away from St. Peter's, but it's in Jersey City, New Jersey. It's a small school. It is. It, this is what the NCAA tournament is all about. It's kind of like when UMBC, uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, remember when they won that big game a few years ago beating Virginia? This is the same kind of thing. What this is, this is a game that will go down in school history. They may never and I hope they do, but they may never have a victory as significant as this in their history. They're not winning an NCAA tournament at St. Peter's. This is the closest they are ever going to have to winning an NCAA tournament. Think about this. St. Peter's has been in the NCAA tournament a grand total of four times. Four. Kentucky has Eight national championships. Eight. And last night, St. Peter's beats him in overtime, 85 to 79. And St. Peter's, as uh, as uh, Stuart Scott used to say on ESPN, St. Peter's was cooler than the other side of the pillow last night. When you watch this game, what was amazing is every time it looked like Kentucky was about to pull away, St. Peter's found a way to get back into it, to tie it up, or to take the lead. They were phenomenal. And they didn't look like they were outmatched at all or they weren't intimidated. And who could blame them for being intimidated when you're playing mighty Kentucky? You know, when you've got John Calipari sitting there on the bench, a guy that's won a game or two. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, And, you know, their head coach summed it up very well last night. Uh, Shaheen Holloway, who played at Seton Hall, by the way, played in the NCAA tournament. This is a guy that, that understands what the tournament's all about. And he said last night, he said, look, every team that makes it there deserves to be there. And everybody believes that they can advance. He said, and you don't have to be the best team. It's about who was better that night. It's all about one game. Who was better that night? 
and he was 100% right. And for, you know, the the stars aligned, this was this was a Hoosiers moment, folks. You know, we all watched that movie about the, you know, what what happened in the great state of Indiana when this little tiny school upset this huge school to win the state championship because they don't have uh, they didn't have uh, you know, separation based on the enrollments and size of school, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this is tiny St. Peter's, right, that has, uh, uh, what, 3,500 students? Kentucky's got 22,000 undergraduate students, a 900-acre campus, you know, yeah, St. Peter's is on like about 25 or 30 acres in Saint, in, in Jersey City. I mean, you know, so this is David and Goliath. This was the Hoosiers moment for St. Peter's, and good for them. Good for them. And it's why we love the NCAA tournament. It, uh, Charles Barkley last night, he said, look, he says, how long have we been doing this? You know, and he said, every year, the NCAA tournament never fails it always brings the surprises every year, and that's what it's all about. So uh, congratulations to them uh, again. They, you know, uh, they're going to move on, which is awesome. They're going to play number seven, Murray State. Uh, I hope they beat Murray State. You know, uh, Murray State and San Francisco, I didn't watch the whole game. I watched until halftime last night. It was a hell of a game. The Dons of San Francisco played a very good game, but uh, Murray State pulls away in the second half. They win the game. So now St. Peter's will take on Murray State. Uh, and I'll be rooting for them. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just great. Just great. Uh, so uh, the uh, the rest of the uh, tournament gets underway today, and uh, we'll see uh, if there's any other big upsets today. Uh, everybody's now going to be looking at uh, Cal State Fullerton, the next uh, number 15 seed. They're going to be taking on number two Duke. <laughs> and as somebody who can't stand Duke, I would not be at all upset if uh, Mike Krzyzewski got bounced out of the NCAA tournament by Cal State Fullerton. Not going to happen, at least I don't think so. But, man, how much fun would that be to see? Uh, so everybody's eyes will be on that uh, today. Uh, and maybe, uh, maybe Delaware, maybe, you know, the blue hens of Delaware can knock off mighty number two Villanova. By the way, if that happens, I'm not even going to, I will, I'll, I'll put the, uh, the, uh, the, the bracket in the shredder very quickly since I have a Villanova Gonzaga final. Uh, and, but by the way, my neighbor from, uh, down the way here, uh, Dave and Darla, uh, McGarry live down the road and, uh, uh, they're originally from Delaware living down here in Hayesville, North Carolina. And, uh, uh, so they're they're rooting for Delaware tonight, but uh, you know everybody's going to be looking for the the next upset. But boy, what a great way uh, to finish my day after baseball last night to finish it up with that NCAA tournament games last night was spectacular. It's 29 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Friday morning, the 8th day of March. And uh, we finally had baseball back yesterday. The Boston Red Sox, uh, a treat for me, got to play on the first day of spring training games. Uh, of course, you looked at the lineup that they threw out there, and uh, uh, most of them you couldn't pick out of a lineup, uh, no pun intended. Uh, but the only uh, guys that the only familiar names really for the Red Sox last night uh, or yesterday afternoon in this were uh, Jaron Duran, 
uh, who uh, struggled mightily with the Red Sox last year in his debut. Uh, Bobby Dahlback played last, yesterday, and uh, uh, Frenchy Cordero played as well. Frenchy Cordero had a couple of hits. Uh, Bobby Dahlback hit a moonshot uh, over the left field wall uh, in the first inning. Uh, Jaron Duran with an infield hit. This is, you know, one of the things about Duran I really like. And, you know, a lot of people say that the Red Sox need to go out and get another outfield, and they probably do. You know, the thing with Duran is, 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 is that, you know, if, if he can make contact, that speed yesterday showed you. I mean, he had a ball, you know, kind of up the middle, and it was a routine ball, but it was up the middle. But his speed, you know, allowed him to beat that one out. Um, you know, which makes him very, very intriguing. Uh, and his ability, obviously, to cover a lot of ground out in center field. Can you imagine if you had, like, JBJ in center and uh, Duran in left and Verdugo in right? You know, there's not a lot of balls getting past anybody out there. You know, that's that's kind of one of the uh, that's one of the intriguing things. You know, the issue becomes, frankly, uh, you know, whether the Red Sox want a guy in left field that uh, doesn't hit home runs. Jaron Duran's not a home run hitter, you know, and do you need somebody out there with some pop? Uh, of course, as the free agent market continues to dry up, I don't know who's going to be left. Uh, I guess the most intriguing outfielder left out there uh, that's still on the free agent market would probably be uh, a Nick Castellanos, perhaps, from uh, the uh, uh, the Reds. Uh, maybe Michael Conforto, although I, I'm not a huge Michael Conforto fan. I do like Castellanos, so uh, maybe that's a possibility. Uh, there was some talk about playing Bobby Dahlbeck uh, out some in left field. I'm a little bit skeptical about that, but they're trying to uh, figure out ways to get him at bats if they if they do make a move for a first baseman. I don't Again, I don't even know uh, what they're going to do about that now. The, the free agent market for first baseman's basically dried up now that Freddie Freeman is signed and Kyle Schwarber is gone and, uh, you know, all the trades have been made. So I don't know that they're going to be able to make a move for a first baseman. Oh, well, they did, actually. Uh, the Red Sox re-signed Travis Shaw. <laughs> and, and this is to take nothing away from Travis Shaw, who they got last year uh, – uh, the trade deadline deal and, you know, had a couple of big hits for the Sox down the stretch. But Travis Shaw is not going to move the needle for the Red Sox offense this year. And when you look at, at the, the additions that the Yankees have made, uh, that the Toronto Blue Jays have made, uh, man, that's frightening. You know, it really is. Um, and, and I saw something yesterday, and, and I, I had a hard time disagreeing with it. When you look at what Toronto and the Yankees have done, does that not make them the top the, the top two teams in the AL East, at least on paper? I mean, obviously we don't play games on paper, but on paper, you know, those got to be the teams right now. You're looking at going, well, those are the teams we got to beat. You know, Tampa is Tampa. Tampa, Tampa's amazing to me. Every year you look at their lineup and go, how the hell are they going to win? And they continue to win. So I'm not going to count them out. And if you look at the fact that the Red Sox really have made no big moves, what were the big moves that the Red Sox made? They brought in Rich Hill, a 41-year-old left-hander. And, I, look, I, I'm fine with Rich Hill. You need somebody. I mean, he's going to be an upgrade over Garrett Richards or Martin Perez uh, in the 4-5 slot in the rotation. There's no question about that, right? They signed Michael Waka. Uh, Michael Waka, whose best days appear to be behind him. Look, he's not that old, but he has not been the Michael Waka that was with the, the St. Louis Cardinals for a while. He has taken some steps backwards, and the Red Sox are hoping that they can resurrect him. I'm not confident about that. 
perhaps the best signing that they made, to be honest with you, was when they signed James Paxton. The problem is Paxton's coming off of uh, uh, elbow surgery, so he's not going to be ready until probably the All-Star break at best. But if if Paxton, if James Paxton can can uh, bounce back to his old form, that might have been the best move that the Red Sox made. And now, of course, you know you find out that Chris Sale is going to be unavailable. They now they're saying it's going to be weeks before he can even pick up a baseball again. So now we're looking at uh, no Chris Sale probably till the All Star break. So here we go again with this rotation, you know, so now Tanner Houck doesn't become a guy that's, you know, like a spot starter or like we're not sure what we're going to do with him. Tanner Houck becomes, uh, you know, right into that rotation. And if you're the Red Sox, you also have to wonder, do they need to start thinking about stretching Garrett Whitlock out? Do they need to think about maybe putting Garrett Whitlock into that rotation? Because if they're not going to add another bat, you know, uh, you're counting on, uh, you know, and it's, by the way, if they don't add another bat, it, you know, it's not the necessarily the end of the world, but it means the following. It means that you are counting on the way Bobby Dahlbeck swung the bat the last two months of the season is the Bobby Dahlbeck you're going to see this year. And look, if he is, great, because the last two months of the season he hit 288 and he had an OPS of over 1,000. So if you get that Bobby Dahlbeck, then you know what? You don't need to go sign uh, and spend a ton of money to bring in another first baseman. You've, you've done the right thing. If you're convinced that's the Bobby Dahlbeck you're going to get. If you're convinced that Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to be able to recapture the offense that he produced in Boston. Now, we've always known when JBJ is a streak hitter. He's liable to get off to an awful start, and then he's going to go on a tear and carry the team for a little while. And we know he's going to play great defense. But they're counting on the old JBJ, not the one that hit like 160 in Milwaukee last year, to the point where Milwaukee finally had to say, I don't care how good your defense is, you're not playing. You know, if you're convinced you're getting that, outstanding. You know, because that means that the Red Sox are going to be fine. Because it then means that Kike Hernandez becomes your second baseman. And what he can bring to you offensively as well as defensively at second base is a step up from Christian Arroyo. Uh, and look, Arroyo was great, but now Arroyo kind of becomes your super sub guy. You can play him at short. You can play him at third. We know what Xander Bogarts is going to give us. We know what Rafi Devers can give us, right? You hope that Christian Vasquez can bounce back a little bit, although I'm, I'm over Christian Vasquez. I'm tired of hearing about Christian Vasquez, what a great defensive catcher he is, yada, yada, yada. Christian Vasquez, in my opinion, is an average catcher. I think he is way overrated, and it's because catchers in the major leagues, there's a dearth of them. And, you know, he's held up as some great – he's not a great catcher. I've watched him make too many bad throws and let too many balls get through. Uh, he's not as great as everybody says he is. So I'm over that. This guy, he's not Yadier Molina. The young Yadier Molina. He's not even close. He's not Pudge Rodriguez. He's not Johnny Bench. He's not any of these great catchers. I mean, I'll take him over a lot of other guys in Major League Baseball, but he is not, you know, the be-all and end-all. So I'm over him. But if he can, uh, you know, produce a little bit more than he did last year, the problem is, you know, he had the one season he hit all the home runs, and now all of a sudden he thinks he's, uh, he thinks he's Johnny Bench, and he thinks he should be hitting bombs all over the place. And, and I think that's a problem for him sometimes.
so there's a lot of ifs there, right? If Jackie Bradley does this, if Bobby Dahlbeck is that, you know, uh, and, and the other piece of it is, is, you know, who's in left field? You know, so, uh, you know, and, and if there's a God in heaven, uh, J.D. Martinez is not in left field. You know, <laughs> that's, that's if, if, if we see games this year where J.D. Martinez is in left field, something has gone horribly wrong. You know, uh, there's still talk that the Red Sox are maybe interested in Trevor Story. Uh, you know, I, I'm not too excited about that because obviously if you bring a Trevor Story in, either he's playing second base or Xander Bogarts is playing second base. And Xander Bogarts has made no bones of the fact that he doesn't want to play second base. He's the shortstop. So if you bring in Trevor Story and tell Xander Bogarts he's moving to second base, you know what that means? Xander Bogarts is opting out of his contract at the end of this year, and his, his tenure with the Red Sox is over. And by the way, he has a no-trade contract. So even if he wants to do that and the Red Sox think they're going to trade him, he's got a no-trade. So they can't even move him. So they have to be very careful with Xander Bogart. So the only way I think Trevor Story comes there is if Trevor Story agrees to play second base. And, you know, again, it's about ego with a lot of these guys. They want to be the shortstop. You know, it's kind of like being a quarterback in the NFL. The shortstop is always kind of uh, perceived as uh, the elite player. You know, the best player, the best athlete usually is your shortstop, to be honest with you. So, you know, so... But if they make no other moves, if Travis Shaw's their big move uh, offensively, you're counting on a lot of other things falling into place. And by the way, you know, let's say Bobby Dahlbeck isn't the Bobby Dahlbeck we saw for the last two months. You have Tristan Cassis down there, but that would mean having to rush him up to the majors, and there's no uh, guarantee that he's going to have any more success than Bobby Dahlbeck did when he first came up either. The ceiling's higher, I think, for Cassis than it is for Dahlbeck, but there's no guarantees. So Red Sox win their game yesterday, 14-1 to means absolutely nothing, uh, but it was just fun uh, to be able to uh, to watch baseball again. you know. And, you know, what was interesting, too, is when you looked at the Minnesota Twins lineup, they threw out a lot of their regulars. You know, Byron Buxton was out there, Luis Arias, uh, Polanco, uh, Gary Sanchez, Gary Sanchez did Gary Sanchez stuff, went over two, struck out. Uh, Kepler was in there. I mean, they had a lot of their regulars out there. And the Red Sox put up uh, 14 hit, uh, runs on 14 hits. The uh, Red Sox pitching, they threw everybody except me. Uh, they used uh, eight different pitchers, and they allowed just two hits. So, uh, <laughs> and by the way, again, most of these guys that were pitching for the Red Sox yesterday, you couldn't pick them out of a lineup if your life depended on it. But it was fun to watch. It was fun to watch. Uh, so that was uh, game number one yesterday. That was great. Uh, and then uh, the White Sox and the Cubs played a couple of games yesterday. Um, again, you know, kind of uh, watched little bits and pieces. Um, and most of the guys that played in these first games, you know, are not going to be guys that you're ever going to see during the season. So, you know, it was kind of fun. You know, you look at guys that played at the Class A Salem for Boston, you know, last year, which it's fun. I mean, you know, guys that you see their names on the prospect list or uh, maybe aren't even legitimate prospects, and you get a chance to see some of these guys that maybe you'll get to see in a Boston Red Sox uniform for three or four years. It's fun early in the season. Later in the season – I want to see, you know, I want to see my regular guys. Uh, and by the way, you will for the Red Sox today. 
which is good. Uh, Bogarts is scheduled to play today. Uh, Rafi Devers is going to play today. Vasquez will be in the lineup today. And uh, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. is also going to play. They're going to play against uh, Tampa today. It's a 105 start. It's on television again, so uh, or at least it's on MLB TV. Uh, I assume, since it's on MLB TV, I'm going to assume that Nesson's broadcasting it. If they're not, it'll be the Tampa folks, but it is available on MLB TV, so uh, uh, have a chance to watch the Red Sox again. But uh, the White Sox and the, and, uh, the Cubs played uh, a couple of games yesterday, and uh, the White Sox won both games 5-2, 4-3. Again, results mean absolutely nothing. It's just, just to hear the crack of the bat again. Uh, and then the Rockies. Uh, played yesterday. Uh, they beat the Diamondbacks 5-3. to three. By the way, Chris Bryant, who just signed that huge contract with the Rockies, did not play. Uh, by the way, what, are the, what a strange thing. You know, this is a Rockies team that um, they voted against the, the collective bargaining agreement. And, you know, they're a team that's trying to keep salaries down, and yet they go out and give this, you know, $180 million contract to Chris Bryant. And good for Chris Bryant. And Chris Bryant's going to put up some monster numbers, you know, in Colorado, but I can't figure out what this franchise is doing. This is the same franchise that, you know, wanted to get Tulowitzki out of there, wanted to get Trevor Story out of there, wanted to get Nolan Arenado out of there because they don't want to pay these guys. And now they're giving a, a contract like that to Chris Bryant. I can't figure out what they're doing. I really can't. Uh, a couple of signings from yesterday. The Cubs made a couple of moves. They added uh, Jonathan VR. Uh, VR gets a one-year deal for $6 million. bucks. Uh, he played with the Mets last year. Uh, 249, 18 homers, 42 runs batted in. Uh, what you like about VR is he's one of those guys that can play anywhere in the infield, so he'll be a great utility guy. Uh, they also signed uh, Michael Givens, uh, relief pitcher. He got a one-year contract for $5 bucks. That's uh, He can also get uh, uh, over a million dollars in bonuses. He pitched with Cincinnati last year, had eight saves for the Reds. Uh, and they also signed Daniel Norris. Uh, Norris is a guy, interesting, uh, Norris is a guy that has pitched uh, for Detroit, and Milwaukee uh, pitched a lot last year, appeared in 56 games, but was awful. Uh, an ERA of over six. But this is a guy that back in 2011 was a second-round draft pick, uh, pitched for the Blue Jays and went to Detroit. And he had a couple of decent years in Detroit, but he is uh, and, and was mainly a starter and uh, wasn't bad. But he has had some arm trouble. And uh, uh, so, it, you know, look, it's it's one of those, it's a, it's a, $1.75 million contract. Uh, it's worth a shot if you're the Chicago Cubs, if you can figure something out and, and he's still got something left in the tank. They're not paying a lot to do it. And by the way, I love this signing the other day. Zach Greinke uh, re-signs with the, uh, uh, the Kansas City Royals. How old is Zach Greinke? He was drafted by the Royals back in 2002. He's 38 years old, going back uh, where it all started. And, and he has said that this he is not planning on this being his last season. Uh, one of my friends uh, actually said, geez, I wonder if he's you know planning on signing there and then retiring as a Royal. Uh, but he said yesterday in an interview he is intending to continue to play. Uh, so uh, and uh, But he is, uh, he's happy to be back in Kansas City and uh, one of the great characters in Major League Baseball uh, going back to the Royals. I mean, I don't know that it's going to move the, the needle an awful lot for the Royals. Uh, but uh, but good for him. Good way to, to have your career come full circle. It's 47 minutes past here. We're going to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. 
Uh, one other uh, quick baseball note. Uh, the Major League Baseball Players Union and uh, the uh, uh, Major League Baseball front office uh, agreed yesterday to extend the administrative leave for Trevor Bauer uh, through April 16th. So uh, uh, that's a week into the season. So he still is not eligible to go to uh, spring training uh, or pitch for the Dodgers, at least through the 16th. Look, uh, this has been going on. He was placed on administrative leave uh, the first week of July last year under their domestic violence and uh, sexual assault policy after that whole thing uh, with the woman claiming that he choked her into unconsciousness. And, you know, I'm not going to go into all the gory details and that he punched her, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, now, the prosecutors decided not to pursue criminal charges against Bauer. Um, and so, you know, he basically walked away scot-free. And look, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, you could say it's a he said, she said, except, uh, you know, he didn't deny that they that they had rough sex. That's what he called it was rough sex. She said that it went beyond what she agreed to. And and, uh, you know, so there is a he said, she said aspect to it. Uh, and, and I think that's part of the reason why they decided it wasn't worth uh, pursuing charges, because all it was going to do was. You know, it's kind of like what happens to women that say they get uh, that they've been raped. A lot of times, they get what's called slut shamed, right? You know, uh, oh, you you asked for it, you know. So they decided not to do it, and and in some ways, it's probably better for the woman because she doesn't have to go through all that publicly. But having said that, I don't understand why Major League Baseball is hesitating in not in suspending. Trevor Bauer. You know, the thing with the administrative leave is, is that he continues to get paid. So he got paid all of last year for not playing while he was going through this, and he's continuing to get paid now, which means that he'll get paid for the first week of the season, even though he's not, uh, he's on leave and he can't play. But they have suspended guys for far less than this. And criminal charges under the, uh, under the MLB policy Criminal charges are not necessary to suspend somebody. All it has to be is, you know, uh, basically, if, if it's a bad look on MLB, they have the right to suspend you. And I, it, for the life of me, I can't understand why they haven't done it. You know, and, uh, uh, you know, after after he got cleared, you know, he went on to social media and, you know, did this, you know, d denied everything and said it was, you know, everything that happened was consensual and it was at her suggestion. And, you know, so again, and he said that each encounter ended up with them joking and her spending the night. And uh, look, none, none of us were there, you know, and, and, you know, maybe that's where this is, this is complicated because of uh, the conflicting uh, accounts in some places. But at the end of the day, we've had people get suspended for, uh, you know, slapping their wife. This guy punched somebody, choked somebody into unconsciousness. You know, uh, we've had guys that have been arrested for domestic violence, gotten off with no charges, but still got suspended for six months. So why isn't Trevor Bauer getting suspended? That's the part I don't understand. 
I really, it, you know, is it because it was so high profile and uh, and they're afraid that uh, there's going to be a lawsuit or something? I don't, I don't understand it. You know, and it's not a good look for Major League Baseball. But then again, considering how the Major League Baseball corporate headquarters is run, I guess nothing should surprise me. A uh, couple other quick things before we get out of here. How about uh, this trade? How about Devontae Adams leaving the Green Bay Packers to go to the Raiders? Uh, the Packers had said that they were going to franchise tag Devontae Adams, which meant he would have made $20 bucks this year. And he said, I'm not playing for that. He told them that he would not play under the franchise tag. So he, he said he'd sit out. So the Packers decided that they were going to uh, not deal with this. You know, they've dealt with enough you know, personnel issues with the whole uh, Aaron Rodgers things over the last couple of years. They decided they're just going to move him. So they did. They sent him to the Raiders. Uh, in exchange, the Packers get a first-round pick. They get the number 22 overall pick in the upcoming draft, as well as uh, some additional compensation. We don't know exactly what that's going to be. And in return, Devontae Adams goes to Las Vegas, where he is reunited with his college quarterback, Derek Carr. They played together at Fresno State for a couple of years. Uh, and right after they made that move, the Raiders then signed Devontae Adams to a new five-year contract that's going to pay him $141 million the richest deal ever for a wide receiver. Now, look, uh, Devontae Adams is only 29 years old. He's the only player in NFL history uh, to have 110 catches, 13 over 1,300 receiving yards, and 11 touchdowns in three separate seasons. The only one that's ever done that. You know, And he had 123 catches for 1,500 yards last year. Uh, made the you know, second straight All-Pro team. Uh, look, he's one of the he's if not the best, he is one of the top two or three receivers in the NFL. So you can see why uh, Josh McDaniels and the Raiders would want him. Uh, and in the category of awkward, much uh, the Cleveland Browns went out and tried to get uh, uh, Deshaun Watson to come to Cleveland. Deshaun Watson said, "No, nope, not going to come to Cleveland." Uh, Browns have basically told Baker Mayfield, we don't want you anymore. Baker Mayfield uh, said goodbye to all the fans in Cleveland uh, on a social media post. Deshaun Watson says no, and now Cleveland says, oh, but Baker, you're still our guy. We want you. And Baker Mayfield says, nope, I want out. And uh, his agent let the Cleveland Browns know that he wants to be traded. He does not want to be there anymore. And the Browns yesterday said, nope, we're not going to trade you. So you could see this coming a mile away. Everything was done very publicly. It was embarrassing for Baker Mayfield. This is a guy who played injured all of last year. Whether you like Baker Mayfield or not, uh, you know, I mean, he talks a little too much for me. But this is a guy who gave that team everything he could last year. He had a bad shoulder that he needed surgery on and still played. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, now he uh, basically gets thrown to the curb by Cleveland, and n now they're going to pick him up and say, oh, no, we really wanted you after all. We didn't mean it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Uh, but uh, uh, I think at the end of the day, he's going to play in Cleveland because Cleveland's not going to trade him. So unless Baker Mayfield's willing to sit out, uh, he is going to have to play for the Cleveland Browns because uh, if you're Cleveland, where else are you going to go? There's no other quarterbacks out there. Uh, there's a dearth of really good quarterbacking in the NFL. So, uh, uh, and it looks like, by the way, Deshaun Watson looks like he's going to sign with the Saints. That's the uh, uh, the latest rumor. But uh, 
Uh, what a mess in Cleveland. And by the way, considering how things have gone in Cleveland the last few years, should we be surprised? That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of The Wake Up Call. We leave you with some music from the Flatlanders this morning. We'll see you Monday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country 94.1.